Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's Super 6 podcast. It's going to be a special one this week. Very excited about it myself. Laura Woods, Bioac and Fenwar. Bio, how are you? Yo, I'm well, man. How are you, LW? How's your week been? Not too bad, thank you very much. A uh, fairly busy one, of course. Getting back into the swing of things after a bank holiday Monday. Um, but I'm all right. How's your body? Yeah, yeah. You know what? It's cool. Um, I had a scan. So I'm on there, man. I'm on, I'm, I'm on the rehab. But one game, we've got to win 12-0. Um on Saturday so listen keep hope alive man keep hope alive you get me exactly. so just keep tuning in and when it's 8-0 then you start getting interested you know what I'm saying so we'll do it man when you're on your double hat trick come on now I've never had that in 20 something years but come on now <laughs> <laughs> um, listen Sean Dyche is on the podcast today probably one of my favourite managers in uh, the Premier League because he is so no nonsense isn't he yes you know what I'm looking forward to this we ain't had a manager in it so whenever he, whenever he interviews he just seems like if you cross him like it's going to be a problem so I'm looking forward to trying to attack him and see if I can antagonise him and that from afar alright well let's get into it then come on Predict six correct scores on Super 6 this week for a chance to win £250,000. Download the app and play by 3pm on Saturday. Head to skysports.com forward slash Super 6 for more details. I do believe this week is our first ever manager in this podcast. I feel a little bit like a student and we have to be on our best behaviour by it. Um, so let's give a warm welcome to this week's guest. It is Mr. Sean Dyche. Hello, Sean. How you going? All right. How you doing, Sean? Yeah, good, good, big man. Are you well? I'm good. Do you know how weird it feels? Because I'm still a player and you're a manager, to call you by your first name, like, I want to say gaffer. Even though you're not my gaffer, but I feel like it's a universal respect I had to say, how you doing, gaffer? You good? Yeah, but to be fair, you know and I know that all your ex-managers, it feels so weird when you call them by their name. Even exactly. Well, I do call most of them by their name, and then sometimes I get confused and that weird thing when I call them boss or gaffer, and then I call them their name about a minute later, and they must be thinking, you just call me gaffer, and now you call me like... <laughs> Even John Duncan, is oh, I class a friend nowadays, I still have that weird thing when I sort of call him John and it feels really weird. Um, it's weird. It's, it's such a football thing. It's so weird. I'm yeah. telling you, I, I feel like... I'm telling you, when I say, oh, hi, Sean, I was thinking, but then... To the man, it would be like, oh, yeah, Daishi, and then it's nice, Gaffer, and it's it's, 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 it's weird out here. So I'm just going to say Gaffer. Well, they tell, me, they tell me in Italy, the Italians, they call it Mister, the Mister. And that was because back in the day when lots of English managers, apparently, this one got told, went to Italy, they didn't know how to say Gaffer, so they called him the Mister. And apparently that stuck, so they still call the manager in Italy, in the Italian football culture, a lot. They call him the Mister or Mister. Mister, brilliant. So we should stick with that, really. All right, Mister. Do any of your current players still call you Sean? Or, or even like players that you're about to sign? No, to be fair, a couple of ex-players call me Sean. Um, and I always told them, I said, look, you know, don't worry about that. I've been called lots of names in my time, so Sean is pretty reasonable. Um, <laughs> but no, I, you know, I've always told them, look, you know, when, when you leave, you don't have to call me Gaffer. But it, I don't know, like what I was saying, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a respect thing that sort of sticks with you forever. And it's, and it's an odd thing, but it does. And, it, and I still feel weird when I call... You know, I worked under a number of managers. I still feel odd calling their names, that's for sure. But I, I do more or less, most of them, I call their names still. Do you know what? We were going to save this for later on, but I feel like because we're talking about former managers and, and things like that, it leads us on a little bit to Brian Clough because I've got a big note in front of me saying that we must get some stories out of you, what it was like as a manager, what you were like to manage, whether you have anything that you can share on a podcast that is listened to by some youngsters as well. So something PG. <laughs> Well, to be honest, look, so I was a, a young apprentice there and a pro there. Um, I loved it. It was at a time when Nottingham Forest were, you know, for the younger listeners, were a lot bigger, not bigger, but a lot more successful than what they, they have been for a while. You know, um, obviously it was a time when they were sort of top three in the what was then the, the first division and winning trophies and Brian Clough, you know, legendary. So I was a young apprentice there and a pro. Um, I had three years and then moved on from there. It wasn't... You know, I was nearly, I was nearly a chance to cut it. Didn't quite cut it, and then went off and played um, for Chesterfield and enjoyed it that much. I mean, bio tell you, once you start playing in the first team, you don't want to go backwards to reserve team football at any level. You know, when you're young players, I'd always had young players. If you get a chance to play first team football at an early age, go and do it because I think it's an amazing thing for young players to do. That aside, when I was at Forest, he did. Brian Club had a control over everything. It was very. You know, nowadays we have all technical directors and all that sort of stuff. Trust me, there was none of that going on. He ran everything. 
Um, but no, there was there's loads of funny things. I mean, every player, no matter how long you were at Nottingham Forest, has got a hundred stories of Brian Clough. Some, let's just say, there's people out there I've heard on podcasts who, let's say, extend the stories. Um, I'll tell you a couple of ones from my time. You know, little little funny things. Um, you know, I've ever been. So he used to have this thing where he used to say to the young players, he used to say, um, you know, I won't use the word he used to use. He'd call you a derogatory name, but it always it's a young man come in the dressing room and sit next to someone who plays in your position. So at the time I was a little midfielder, people wouldn't know that obviously, but I used to sit next to say Neil Webb. So you're waiting for the magic, you know, you think this is Brian Clough, he's like a legend. So there was a game when uh, I'm sitting there next to Neil and I'm thinking, you know, it's going to happen and he's going to say something legendary. And he literally went on his hands and knees, got a towel and put it in the middle of the floor and put a ball on it. And then he just sat there with his, rubbing his face. Like he used to have this thing where he used to rub his face and rub his knees all the time. And then he was just pointing at the ball like this. He was just shaking his hand at it. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's going to happen here? Anyway, the bell goes, dead silent by the way. The bell goes, and he literally said, she's like your girlfriend or your missus. Look after her. All the best. And that was it. I just sent the team out. They won, they won three mil. And I just thought, what? I, where's all the genius and all that? But of course, when you get older, the genius moment is like the simplicity and almost taking away the atmosphere. You know, the times I've been in there and he used to have a tennis ball or a squash ball and he'd just throw it around the dressing room and everyone would catch it and throw it back. But I mean throw it. I mean jet it at you. And it's all, you know, that what I know now and what I would tell you is sometimes a change room needs to fuse it. You should know by the time the game's around by that. You should know what your job is. You should know what you're going to do. And at Forest, everyone knew their job. Everyone knew the expectation of the manager and the coaches. So what I reflect on is that ability to diffuse sometimes the atmosphere of a room. You know, and he, he just had a, a way of seemingly getting it right all the time. And funny things sometimes, you'd, funny things. I mean, Des Walker, absolute legend um, in my view, um, all of his career. People mentioned at the end he wasn't this. I'm telling you, I saw him uh, unbelievable. And he used to literally go, hey, young ginger, Take Desmond's boots off. And I used to walk over to Desi and Desi would look at you and go, no, don't do that. And he used to go, hey, Ginger, take Desmond's boots off. So I used to walk over and sort of undo his boots and that. He said, he's been carrying us, he's been carrying us all season, Desmond does. Well done, Desmond, like that. And I just, you know. Okay, so let me ask. So at that time there, did you know you wanted to be a manager. Like you said, you was you was young there. Did you know you wanted to be manager? And is that what you've taken from him now you're a manager? No, I think a lot of this, right, you, you reflect on when you you know you come of age in the football world. So I, I really got the bug for it. Working on John Duncan when I was at Chesterfield and might have come across you then, mate, by the way. Um along them years. Um <laughs> yeah, he he formed he formed a group of all right players into a really strong group who eventually broke up for a lot of money for that club and had some successes. And that was the first time I thought, right, there's there's more to this. You know, because when you're young, you know yourself, you, you're finding your way yourself. You're not overthinking everything else. You're trying to stand up on your own two feet and find your career path. I was about 26, 27 when I left Chesterfield, and I sort of started forming some opinions when I thought, right, okay, I'm getting a handle on the bigger picture of what this is now. By the time I got to Millwall, working with a very talented group with like Timmy Cale and Stephen Reid and Lucas Neal and all these guys, I was beginning to form an overview on what I thought a team should look like. So I started taking my badges. That was about, I was about 29, 30. And by the time I finished at 36, I'd, I'd just completed my A licence. So I think it's an ongoing process. And when you, when you then start being active as a coach and a manager, you start reflecting on all these experiences and then you, see some of the genius in it and often the simplicity you know it's not always the tactical masterclass you can think about sometimes it's the you know just purely the simplicity of how some of the, the best or the best managers i work with the simplicity of how they worked that's something that ian wright was actually talking about recently about you saying that some one thing that you do so well is you you have this calmness about you and i suppose that translates to what you were saying about sometimes just taking the atmosphere away from a from a dressing room because everyone should already know their jobs yeah, I mean, it, you find your way from what you do, you know. So don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm learning all the time. But people, people, I know, look, so in the media, you're in the media, right? So they've got to make a story. So they, they you know, they have words, you know, is it time to panic and all these things? And I get all that. 
Yeah. But in my experience, whether Every you're a player, <laughs> yeah, no, no, but no, 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 it's fine. I've been doing the media a long time, and I, you know, I appreciate. I do actually, as you know, I get on with most of the media people because I, I think it's a tough job, and you've got to say something. You can't sit there saying nothing. You can't agree with everything unless it doesn't work. But you know, they use that a lot, and I'm like, well, if you think about logic, what is panic? Gonna, here's one for you. You know, you know, the brain surgeon just when he's going to go in and cut your head open. Trust me, he's not panicking because if he starts panicking, there's trouble. So <laughs> now I'm not. This surgeon. is what you are. Trust me, I'm no brain surgeon. But there's a logical view. Panic is not going to win you a football match, in my opinion. Now, that doesn't mean I don't feel it sometimes, and I feel the pressure and the heat, because you do. But in my experience, panic is not going to change anything. It's not going to help anything. So I always go for logic, analysis, belief in what I do and my staff do, belief in the players, of course, a lot of trust in the players, but a belief in what we put in place. So I don't... It's if you want to use the word panic, it's a controlled, organised version of it. It's not a, oh my word, I hope this just works because I just don't think that's the right way of doing it. So therefore, I don't really lose time at sleep about what I do. Um, you know, I just get on with it and I work in a manner that I think is appropriate. But I don't. I just to be clear, I don't try and be. I'm not trying to show a sign of calmness. It's just naturally me being me. I always think authenticity wins the day. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this, Gaffer. Look, I when I watch you. And, of course, I feel like, and I, I could be wrong, I feel like because you've gone through the process of the leagues and you've experienced it all, I feel like you go in and your default setting is, like you said, calm. So when people, you know, they'll be like, oh, you're playing the Man Cities and that, and you just seem so levelled, and you're like, look, this is what we are, isn't it? I'm not going to go and change for anybody. We're Burnley. It's all about, I set up my team, we work hard, there's 11 people on the pitch, and that's what I get from you. Like, I also get that you look like you don't play and, like, I wouldn't square up to you. I get that also from you as well, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to lie, but that's what I get and that's what I love. That whole, your whole demeanour just seems like, look, we've put in the work and come Saturday, where the chips lie is where the chips lie. If it doesn't go to plan, we'll go again and we'll work hard. And I feel like that's what I get from, like, you you know, you'll turn around and say, not everybody can be Man City. Not Football is not one way. And there's many ways of winning a game. And I feel like that's what I get from you. So let me just salute you on that one, Gaffer. You get what I'm saying? I do. I do. And it's a question that's kind of, or the feel of a question that's posed at me a lot. You know that, the way the modern football is. It's very brandist and, and you're only allowed to play a certain way. Or not only, but they they sort of suggest you can only play a certain way. I've never been a zealot to either. I don't, I don't think that I could only play passable or long ball football as we're often tagged. I think mixed football is an appropriate way. I call it effective football. Whatever way you've got to play, you're going to have to win. You can't lose sight of winning. Trust me, I, I say this right. So I don't pontificate to younger managers, but obviously I've been around the block enough now where ex-players who I've played with are now becoming coaches and managers and some younger managers, they call me. You know, they don't know me. They call me and ask some advice. One of the biggest bits of advice I say to them is before you tell the world how you're going to do it, win first. When you win enough, people believe more. And when they believe more, you can tell them how you're going to do it. But a lot of young managers, in my experience of them, go out and they've, they've branded themselves up to the eyeballs. And it's not easy. When you get that group of players and you've got 20-odd players and you think you're going to turn them into Man City and you're in Division 1, let's say, or Division 2, having played there, as you know, I've played there a lot, it ain't going to work very often. Yeah. So I call it reality mixed with good planning and coaching, mixed with strategy mixed with good fitness levels, mixed with good belief, all noses pointing in the right direction. They're all old-fashioned things, but trust me, they're not old-fashioned in my world. In fact, I've never felt more modern half the time by getting a group of players to give everything. Trust me, that's not so easy nowadays. That used to be a given when I was a young player. Now to get a group of players to put their nose in the right direction and give everything to the cause ain't so easy. So... I take great value in that, you know, and, and like you say, we go to Man City, right? Why, why would I, I've never understood this, Man City, right? Pep's brilliant at this. He says, um, they beat someone 5-0 and they said, oh, they played the right way. And I'm thinking, yeah, because you beat them 5-0. You know, when he said, you know, when he plays us, you know, he famously said, it's like going to the dentist and that'll do me. I'm like, yeah, as it should yes, be. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you, I'd play for you if I was younger. Gaffer, <laughs> if I was younger, I would be saying, look, yeah, make me an understudy to Woods because I come on last 15 minutes and then just hurt them as well. Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> no, you know what I mean, though. You know what I mean? Like, there's, a, there's a time and a place where I just think sometimes football's lost fact or lost sight sometimes, not always. 
of a team that gives everything. And I yes. think we've got a team here, whatever people say, right, wrongs, brands, good, bad or indifferent, I still think there's a, there's a thirst of football fans to see their team give everything. And I think that's not a bad start point. Now, if you can do that with a bit of style, a bit of panache, a bit of technical ability, blah, 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 of course, that's even better. And the only ones, not many can do it, by the way. There's only a handful of clubs that can deliver all of that. You know, give it effort, teamship, belief, wear the badge with pride, swear the shirt, and then deliver amazing football, technical quality, loads of goals. And they're usually the top six clubs in the Premier League. There's not many others who can deliver that. So I'm a bit reality bound. I go, right, what's the first port of call? Success for us is winning games, staying in the Premier League and achieving more than that, which we've shown on other years, not so much this year has been a big challenge, but we've shown we can do that. So I'm not going to start throwing all that away because someone says we play the wrong way, basically. Mm. Um, tell us a bit about this season and, and how you would summarise it because there have been so many topics that have reared their head this season. I mean, obviously having to deal with COVID, VAR just in it continuing in its um, what we're kind of expecting VAR to be these days as well, or at least the use of it. Um, European Super League, now fan protests. There's, there's so much to deal with this season, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Been, uh, well, not just the season, from the original lockdown. You know, the, yeah. the first one, you had the, the, the strangeness of, well, for everyone, by the way, just to get the elephant out of the room, of course, right? There's been a lot of really serious issues from COVID. So, you know, I'm not I'm not playing football amongst all of that. You know, there's been deaths, there's been some horrid times, you know, friends, family and, and all that. So let, let's have that right. Football still plays its part and it still has its place. And it certainly does in my life, of course, and in our lives, in fact. So the first lockdown was really tough in a way that it stopped and no one quite knew. You know, everyone was thinking, right, is this going to carry on? We don't even know whether football's going to carry on because the initial onset, as you know, was so, so serious. Then it kind of showed signs, okay, you know, it looks like we're going to start coming out of it. Then you had the first lot of empty stadium games, which was weird, of course. Mm. Then you have so many games in a very short period of time. We came through that really well, although we had injuries, but we we did a, a you know really strong job and finished 10th last year. We only had three and a half weeks break, um, which is peculiar. And I know fans and so footballers who have lots of breaks. We don't, you know, but I'll tell you, you know, you don't. Football fans sometimes think we get Christmases and New Year's and, you know, Easter's and all that. Weekends, we don't. So that was hard. Then we came back for a mini pre-season. We had more injuries. Then the season starts and then the games programme has been all over the place. I mean, I know I appreciate the, the powers that they have done the best they can and done a pretty good job, by the way. But, you know, the game timings, amount of games, the cluster of games has been all over the place to try and get it done. Then you add in, as you rightly said, um, Super League thoughts and fan protests and and still the ongoing underlying situation with COVID. And we're all keeping our fingers crossed that showing massive positive signs of, you know, being controlled now for everyone. And I... You're right, it's been... And you know what, underneath all that, you've still got to win the next game. You know, so you've got all that going and think to yourself, God, I've just got to win the next game. Come on, win the next game. Let's go, win the next game. The world will all be right when you win the next game. That's the weirdest thing in football. Everything just feels right when you keep winning. And when you're not, it's like, oh. So... That's a bit hard, Sean, for you. Yeah, yeah, it has. It has. It's been... I mean, life-wise, it affects you because... You can't get a break. Not By the way, not just me. I mean, people, you know, they can't get a break and all the social things and all the things that we took for granted and then suddenly they're not there. As a break from what I do, me personally, you know, professionally, I like a break. I like a social with my family, friends and, you know, stuff like that. And that's not there for a release. Then you've got your work life and that's pretty much on a day-to-day basis. That's pretty, pretty cool. You know, we're working with the players as we would. And they've been very, very stringent, I must say, on the, the rules uh, in our workplace. Um, the games have been really odd, but it's it's. I actually think it's a massive credit to all players across the country because I must say, some of the games I think have been exceptional with the fact there's no fans in the stadium. I mean, some have been a, a, a really high standard. I think there's been some flat ones, and we've been involved in a few, but we've had some great games this season under very you know very different circumstances. Um, you know, high tempo, high quality, good scoring, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've had the twist in the tail with away records against home records and that kind of thing. Um, then, like I say, then you go off the pitch and outside of it with very serious issues. You know, Black Lives Matter. Then you've got the, the fan protests and Super Leagues. It's been, a, it's been a very, very interesting but tough season. And, and on our own patch, 
we've had so many injuries, it's made it a really, really tough time. And that's been a, a big challenge for a club like ours because we don't invest heavily and we rely on our players. All right, so Gaffer, how have you dealt with what I've found this season is, so we brought in some new players and you you know that socialising with players outside football, a Christmas do kind of brings that togetherness in a unit. How have you found the, the dynamics or the atmosphere or the changing room? Is there any different this season because of no socialising, no going out? So no having that release after either a good win, a bad win. Have you seen or felt a little bit of a different atmosphere in the air this season? Yeah, I think we've got quite a close-knit group. A lot of our lads live in sort of the Manchester area. They they do socialise, not all the time, but they do socialise together, you know, forgetting about COVID and all the rules. So, yeah, I think there is a break from it. And, and you'll know yourself, to keep yourself sharp, you do need to switch off from it. They haven't really had that. Then you get home and the endless streams of football, which is amazing for fans. But when you're in the industry, as you know, you are watching more and more and more. And I think, my goodness, you know, is there anything else in my life other than football? And, you know, to keep yourself like emotionally sharp, I personally, I like a break from football. So I don't watch endless games. I'm not an obsessive from it. To keep me sharp in what I do, I need to come away from it. Um, Some of the players are like that too. I mean, look... like I say, players get knocked a lot, but I think they've been absolutely unbelievable across the divisions. I really do, because they've stayed strong to the cause of their clubs, it seems to me, you know, most. They've found a way through their lives. And let's face it, right, I'll give you the, the obvious one, right? So everyone says, oh, footballers pay, get paid a lot of money. Well, guess what? You ain't got nothing to spend it on. What are you going to spend on? You can't do anything with it. So, therefore, it's not all about the money, quite obviously, because they've got nothing... Like, Gaff, I don't get paid a lot. Let me just throw that out there. Like, I haven't, I haven't hit the Prem yet, so I, I don't get paid a lot. It's cool, though. You get me? Well, <laughs> well look, the, the fact is I didn't get paid too much in my career. I went <laughs> and don't feel sorry for him. He's got about a billion sponsorship deals. I stopped that, LW. <laughs> Stop <laughs> that. Now, give me all that humble card. <laughs> the, point, the point I'm making is, you know, footballers need a break. They can't. It's not like a financial thing this year. It's not a financial. If footballers haven't been going jetting off and all the things people think they do, they haven't been able to do that. That would be part of their normal life, I'm sure. Not all, but some. So, you know, footballers do deserve credit for just getting on with it. I mean, you know, we've had a mad game schedule, loads of injuries. We've asked a lot of our players this season, and more. We've got still got four big games to come, so we're asking a lot of our players, and I think. Clubs across uh, across the country. I know a few managers from varying levels. They're all working hard with the players, and I think players deserve credit. And, and even the players, they've been involved in a lot this season, more more than ever. I think off the pitch, from footballers at large across the country. You know the origins of getting our, you know, stated about they should be taking less money and all that, and you know, Mr. Hancock not realising how many people do give money to causes and do protect charities, you know, privately, and a lot want to be private, and then all of a sudden they feel the need to come out and tell everyone, you know, in the origins of COVID, they were, they, you know, some players came out and said, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, you don't even know what I do, you know, what I give. Mm-hmm. So I just think footballers at large and football itself. I personally think it's done a brilliant job this season because I think it's been very difficult. The media has done a brilliant job. It's been tough, but they've done a brilliant job to get it out there, everyone involved, and by the rules. And they have they have stood up for a lot of things. Football has stood up for a lot of things during this period, I think, and I think they deserve credit for it, all football players. Mm. Um, I want to take you back a little bit to when you were playing and, and you were talking about those, those sort of differences. Oh, you talk, I talk about Man City because I would have been slotted right. in there. Me and Laporte. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Laporte had it right off. Don't worry about that. I'd have been, I'd have been blending that team for fun. Loving me. I'd have been finding passes everywhere. Pet would have been waxing lyrical. Jeez! Let them know, Gaffer. Let them know. He yeah, doesn't know about me. <laughs> well, for for the younger listeners, let's talk about that. So, so you as a young player. What, what are those differences, really, that you experience, you know, even from being made to take someone's boots off to what you kind of see in the in the dressing room now? Well, um, I, I would never take back my years. I thought they were hard. I thought there was less coaching. As we know, modern coaching, feedback was non-existent. It was survival of the fittest. You had to do, you had to learn, you had to self-learn, which I think has gone out of the game and I think it should come back in. Um you know, too many young players now, before they've even had a chance to think about their performance, the coach has already told them what they did wrong. And it's like, well, they need to learn. They need to go away, sit there all weekend, feel awful on a bad day that I used to feel and work it out and think about it and find a way of processing it to learn. Um, 
I enjoyed, I didn't know at the time, it's hard, by the way, it's really cutthroat when I was apprentice and, and a young footballer, but, but uh, I look back now and it made me who I am, not just as a footballer, as a person. Um, I think some of that should come back into the game. I think the, the respect levels are different now. They're not right or wrong. I just think modern life is, hasn't got as much hierarchy in, in football. And it's I, wrong, Gaffer, man. It's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, 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 think, I think there's a place when that could be eased back in. We're not talking, by the way, because uh, I always get the dinosaur card thrown at me. I'm not talking about kids cleaning toilets and painting fences and all that that apprentices sometimes used to do, including myself. Didn't do me any harm, by the way. Um, I'm not talking about that, but I think now and again the hierarchy should still be there. You're a young player, you earn the right, you grow up seeing yes. the older pros. And by the way, older pros were respectful in them days. You know, they were really respectful. I still friends with Stuart Pearce, and I still keep in touch with Nigel Clough and people like that. They were unbelievably respectful and helpful to us as young pros. You know, so it was hard, but they would always get their arm on your shoulder, speak to you, and especially when you're getting around the first team. And I just think there's this, this it's almost there's too much now for young players. There's too much information. There's too, the, the, the self-learning aspect, the feel of being a footballer, it's like I've arrived before I've arrived. You know? And I think if we could just pull that in a little bit, get that rawness back in these young players, I think we'd have a better product. Um, that's only my personal opinion, but, but you know, that's why I loved it. To be fair, of course, we're of the similar era you're older than me um, but we both got bald heads so it's cool um, so we're of the <laughs> we're, we're of the similar era so and I'm, I'm I echo what you say um, I think that growing up I think it was an education I think that we was much more and I, I'll put it out there because I say it to the kids in, the, in our in my team now that we was much more durable we was much more resilient um, growing up because we had to go through the process and I felt like we had to earn it so I, we're similar so is there anything you implement at Burnley now to echo your mindset so have you still got boot boys at your club yeah we have some soft versions of it because we're still within the, the rules the modern rules I mean I'll, I'll give you a bigger a bigger example I think in in what it is so on the one hand, the system will say, um, certainly let's go under under 21, right? You must speak to a player in a certain way, treat them a certain way, educate them a certain way, only use certain kind of, let's say, positive generic sayings and words. Mm-hmm. And then the irony is they're getting bashed and beat up off social media, which they can't get off of. They get in a stadium and get bashed and beat up by fans. They, they get hammered everywhere by the media and we haven't even gotten ready for it. We haven't got yeah. ready for the actual task of getting out there with 75,000 or in our case, 20 odd thousand in a stadium. We haven't got them ready for that. So, you know, there's a push and pull, I call it, where it doesn't mean you can still put a demand on a young player without being disrespectful. You know, you don't have to use disrespectful terminology to put a high demand on a player and a high yeah. truth on a player, as long as it's done in the right way. You know, we've almost gone to this, you know, where you, you can't tell the truth anymore. You know, it's like you have to give them a perception of the truth. And sometimes a young player, we definitely had it in our day, probably too much to be fair, but someone just told you the truth. This is what you're going to have to do. And if you're not prepared to do it, you're not going to be a footballer. Now it's like, oh, no, I didn't. The coach goes, yeah, but I've got to give them, you know, the style they wish to receive it in and all that. And I'm going, well, what about when they're on manager number seven? And then manager number seven comes in and goes, you need to accept my style. Don't worry about yours. So... I just think we've got to be careful. We're not actually, we're not sometimes, sometimes we're not giving these young players the best opportunity to be a footballer because we're shying away from the truth of what it is. It's a fantastic business, fantastic game. It's very demanding. It's very challenging. And never more so now with social media, with fans and all of that side of it is still going to be blended into what they learn as footballers in these academies at any level. I just think the blend's a bit out of kilter. That's my point. There's some amazing things, though, about academies. The, 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 you know, well, even us here, we've got amazing facilities, coaching, um, you know, the field, the delivery, the, the, the uh, analytical point of view. So don't get me wrong, there's some amazing things. And the safeguard and health and safety, they've all improved enormously, almost to the point where we've just got to maybe ease it back a little bit and go, right, we've still got to give them the rawness. We've still got to give them the nuts and bolts and the truth of the profession of what they're going into and the high demand of it. And I think we've just got to be careful with that across the board, not just Burnley, I mean, across the board. 
Um, I want to take you back to 1997, if that's okay. Chesterfield in the FA Cup. I like playing for them. One for one, panel eight, 50,000 in the stadium, 100 million watching worldwide, but I don't like to <laughs> <laughs> I must said one for one. Parents, parents and family, friends, all in the stadium. Don't like to mention that. Uh, yeah. Right, this was Chesterfield. Um, this was against oh, was Sorry, I got the wrong name. Sorry. Chesterfield against... No, 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 it was. FA Cup semi-final, 1997. It you was. scored a penalty. You put the side 2-0 up. Eventually, it was a 3-3 draw. Went on to lose the replay 3-0. Jeez. But, but, sorry, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh. I feel like I've, I've given with one hand, removed with the other. But uh, the question is, if goal line technology had been around then, what would have changed? Can you remind us what happened? Yeah, unfortunately, two incidents that occurred, which would have, you know, probably, you can never tell in football, but probably got us through that. One was uh, a finish that went over the line, um, clearly went over the line by a long way. And then not only that, it bounced out. And then a foul by their player on Andy Morris, who was going to, you know, head in, well, probably head in the, re- uh, the, the rebound, sorry. So you've either got a goal, which was a goal or a penalty. Um, not that I want, I didn't want to take the first one, by the way, let alone the second one, just to be clear. Um, and and that would have changed, well, probably one of the biggest, well, that would have been one of the biggest stories in the FA Cup. It's still a big story at that time. You know, small club like Chesterfield getting to the semi-final. Um and it was David Ellery that was ref. And I remember the funny things you remember about days like that. I remember going in the tunnel and the media wasn't as big then. I mean, it was pretty big, but not like now. And strangely, he did an interview about it. And I remember standing by him thinking, this is going to be interesting. And I could see him, he was looking at me. And I thought, well, I don't know what you're going to say. I thought, I have no clue what you're going to say here. And he sort of, I don't know, rumbled his way through it. I think someone told me, I haven't read it, but I think he wrote a book or something. He did say in there, he holds, you know, he holds his hands up. It was like, you know, a poor decision and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, it was a, you know, you can't lose sight of though. It was an amazing achievement from a side like we had there. Uh, we had a, an amazing run through the FA Cup, an amazing day. Jamie Hewitt scoring literally almost the last kick of the game, which was an incredible game. 3-3, you know, lastminute.com in the, the extra time period. And, you know, and then unfortunately the second game, which often happens, well, I'll tell you, you know, when, you, when you're a small team, small club, it drains so much from you. The bigger players are used to them events or more used yeah. to them events. And we didn't, we couldn't get up for the second one. They, 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 you know, they had too much for us in the second game. Um, but in the first game, we we had a real go, and uh, you know they they were a good side. So no, I mean, what like, league was Chesterfield in? We were in the first, and you know, pushing. We actually had a real strong season. I mean, you know, we we were pushing really to get in the playoffs. You never know at that time. Believe it or not, right? Here's the madness. You know, they talk about players overplaying now. So at the end of that season, because of the FA Cup and because in them days you didn't have under soil heat and all that, so those games called off at Christmas and all that, the usual stuff. The last two weeks of the season. Now, bearing in mind we were in the playoff positions. We played, I think this is right, we played Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, because the FA said... What? Yeah, because they said, we won't allow you to play over the end of the season. Oh. And we were like, any danger? I remember going down to Bristol City. <laughs> Bristol City, we still had a chance of being in the playoffs. I remember Jamie Hewitt, he, I think he literally slept all day on the bus, because we weren't travelling the night four games now. I think he just slept all day. Everyone was just... Honestly, it was so tired and fatigued. It was madness. So it's something like that. It's something like that. I can't remember the exact days, but it was something like that. So when your players now are complaining about fatigue, do you oh, tell honestly. them you've got no idea what it's like? Can you, can you imagine <laughs> my shout on fatigue? I'm just going, yeah, right. I said, I think you'll be all right. They come in, my analytics come in with their red numbers and all that. I go, yeah, I think they'll be all right to do three, 300 feet more than they did yesterday. I think they'll be okay. So, uh, be all right. I do actually, to be clear, I am really big on the science side, to be fair. But there is a time when you go, really, I think they'll be okay. I think there's lots of work to be done, but I think they'll be fine. You know, So I'm, I don't always buy into all that. You know, yeah. I must clear this up, though, and I've said this recently. This game schedule this year has been different, just to be fair. Even for my players, we had a period, I think there was us and Man City had the most games in an eight-week period in the whole of the Premier League. And, I mean, it was madness. We had something like 14 and someone like Leeds had nine. I mean, that that's just, that's an anomaly, you know. But generally speaking, in the Premier League, we have enough gaps and enough recovery. Not so much, to be fair, the, the, the really successful clubs, you know, just to make it clear, they're in Europe and all that. They have a lot more travelling. That is very difficult. We went through that ourselves for a period and that is very difficult. So I must make that clear. But if you're not in the European competitions, 
I think you have more than enough rest in the Premier League to be ready for the next game. Alright, all right. so talking about the Premier League, tell me, Gaffer, tell me some of your best memories like on the touchline there. Like to me, if I remember what happened with you and Klopp, like you know what I'm saying, Klopp's my guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, what happened, my brother? Talk to me. You know the rules, what goes on the pitch stays on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, those, right, were cool. the, those were some of the best pictures that made their way around the internet and hey, the memes were wicked. I'm not gonna lie, the memes yeah. were wicked. But do you know what? Do you know what? Uh, th- that's where the games come a little bit, like I say, you know, the game's lo- not lost, but it sometimes it can be a little bit too pure. I don't think there's anything wrong with having two managers wanting to stand up for their team to win a game within reason. It's right. that It should be like that. I, sh- I-, I want to see my gaffer. I, I say this, Gaff, you know, he-, he works out with me, pushes the gym and that. I want to see him passionate on the sideline that if he feels aggrieved, but he lets that manager know. I want to see that. Because he wants to see that from me. I have no problem. I played in that era and was brought up in that era. I have no problem, by the way, any manager. What they say, what they do on the sidelines, for me, that's it. It's parked. I met many managers away from the game and, you know, get on with them, fine. And then on the touchline, you can't always get on with them. You know, there's going to be moments when it goes wrong for whatever reason and he said that and he said this and all that sort of stuff. But I've got no problem with it whatsoever. I, I don't mind that. You know, it's a bit of... A bit of passion, a bit of a bit of belief in your team, and a bit of respect for your team amongst the you know the other teams. And it's difficult when you're playing the big guns as well. Um, there was nothing more in that, um, and I wouldn't tell you anyway, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> the uh, the uh, no, gen- generally speaking, um, I, I don't mind a bit of that. I don't mind it on the pitch. I think there should be more of it on the pitch because it's got a bit too pure. Um, not no, I don't mean you know. Just to be clear, if anyone's listening, just throw my words elsewhere and make different stories. What I mean sure is, I don't mean silly stuff. I just mean there can still be physical contact in a game of football. Yes. A little row between players and it's not going to mean yes. it's not the end of the world. Not everyone has to dissect it and say he said a rude word and all that. You know, it's like, yeah, all right. Well, it's just footballers trying to win a game and they're passionate and they're they're in the moment. Sometimes it could just be a little touch more. So, okay, I'm touching on that because, again, I think I'm with you. So what do you dislike which has changed from back in the day to the modern game? What's oh. the one thing that you just stand oh. at that you're just like... Oh, don't. I'm, I'm beginning to bore myself with this. If, if people... Oh, I don't know because I'm, I'm liking well, it, actually. Well, I like it. I've spoken about this openly, so forgive me. I'm not going to get... On my, I normally got a massive rant about this, but I'll keep it short. If someone flicks my ear, I don't need to scream and jump on the floor. I just don't need to do it. As a human being, let alone a footballer, I just don't need to do it. So I just it's I don't even know where this has got to now on that side of the game. Um the the simulation as they call it, I don't like it when he use the other word for it. Simulation is off the scale. I don't there's any need for it. And and bio, you'll know this, and I always support the truth of my words. Right, so you're a centre forward, right? If I clip you, you're going down. That's always been there. No problem at all. That's always been there. Fact. But now I don't clip you and you still go down. And then I go, well, that can't be right. That can't be right. No, no, I get that. I get that. I get that. I can't stand that. Listen, for me, I don't like going down, period. I don't like anybody to say they've got one up on me. So I can't stand that. So I'm with you in the sense of, look, I I won't lie to you. Like, I've got some smaller forwards that above the wind touches them and they fall down. And that's just period. Do you get what I'm saying? I so, said that. I said that. I'm just saying, no, listen, I'm not going to lie, but I, listen, some of the players I played with, it just goes, whoosh. And I'm like, right, what are you doing on the floor? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but I, I listen, I think we're similar. We're the same era. I can't stand that softness in the I just, sense I just of think and the, the last thing I'd go on about is just this, there used to be a gen- like a professional gentlemanly conduct in the game where you just wouldn't do that anyway. You wouldn't try and get a, a fellow pro in trouble. I mean, real trouble. You just wouldn't do it. You know, if they clip you, they clip you. If they hurt you, they hurt you. But it's just gone a bit out of kilter now. I just think, oh, come on, you know. And I've been talking about it for years, but it's got worse. I think the last 18 months, it's just got to a nonsensical point. Um, I hope the fans maybe have a say of it. It seems like there's a little undercurrent now where I think, you know, I must say a few of the pundits now have started saying, hang on a minute, this has gone too far. You know, and they've, they've stood up for it over the last years. But now there's a few, I'm not going to name names, there's a few of the pundits have started going, no, hang on, it's gone too far now. You know, we need to start controlling this in the game. Um, I just don't think, 
no, we all have faults, and I certainly have mine. But I just think it's—I just think for kids, I just think it's a poor spectacle. I don't like it for kids. You know, adults are different. We all make our minds up. We all want our team to win. But I go and watch my lad play. He's a bit older now, but I've been watching him for the last twelve years, and I see it in young kids now. And I think that can't be right. You can't—you shouldn't be in a sport at a very young age learning how to do the things that are well. I think are unacceptable. I don't think that's right. Yeah. What do you want to see, Sean? Just more punishment for it. People get yeah. I think I think it's just it, yeah, just just tidy it up. Um, not drastic action, but it's very simple. You you dive and they've got VAR now, by the way. You dive, you get booked. Trust me, it stopped really quick. Simple as that. And then if you dive twice and you get booked twice, you're off. It stop. Mm-hmm. I'm on about. By the way, just to be clear again, because I think it's really important to emphasise this. I'm on about blatant diving. I'm not on about getting touched and all that sort of stuff. But blatant diving and feigning injury has to be ungentlemanly for the game and against the professional standards of a professional sport. So therefore, if it's me, that's got to be dealt with. It's simple as that. There's other stuff, little stuff, where you go, all right, we can't have it all. But that has got to be dealt with, in my opinion. Can I ask, did you two ever play against each other? Yeah, I think we must have. I think, Bo, I think, am I right in saying back in the day you'd been at Swansea? And I think I, and I would have come across you probably at Chesterfield or maybe Northampton, maybe. Northampton or Swansea. Chesterfield, that was the time when you lot, there was a real good Chesterfield team. Did you win it? Win, uh... Yeah, so no, we, went up, we went up in the playoffs from two to one under John Duncan. Then we got in the, we were close to the playoffs and we made the semi-final. But I left, but I think because of your age difference, I think I'll play with you later on when I was, I was at Northampton, I think. We'd have played against each other. Yeah, we'd have definitely we'd have to check that. Class. Hundred percent. I think I. I think I'm. I think one time I pinned you and spinned you. Um, I'm just. I, I'm, that's what's coming to my head. But sorry, mate, sorry, mate, it's cutting out. Can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> you don't check the connection. I don't know what's Hello. Hello. I can see you, but I can't hear you. Wait. Oh god! And you probably clipped him, and he went down. Oi! 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 <laughs> okay, so um, I want to move on because I want to talk about when you retired from playing and, and you moved into management. Um, you joined the setup at Watford 2007, uh, which now, I mean, that must feel like a, a lifetime ago now, really. Mm. What did you tell your defenders when they came up against the likes of Bayak and Fenwa? Um, well, to be honest, the game was on the chains then, so I, I took over from the, the under-18s. Very fortunate, Aidy Boothroyd kindly gave me a chance and uh, a fellow called Davey Dodds and the late Dick Bate, they gave me a chance, a very important chance for me to start. Without that, you don't know where your career's going. Regarding the players, I, I, I actually, a lot of what I do now is still based on my youth team thinking because there were certain things I thought were important for the players to know and understand, certain requirements of what a team and a professional should deliver. Um, you know, and, and the belief in that as people, by the way, forget tactics. The first thing I always work on is the people. This is what we should be like. And I think if you affect the person, you've got a better chance of affecting their performance. So I did that with the youth team and put that in place. Just started advising, but it's not, you know, you've got to remember as a coach, you're not just because I was a defender. Um, I, I played in midfield as a youngster. People wouldn't know that, but I turned into a centre half and turned, I actually turned me into me. I actually turned what I did into me deliberately, by the way. And because I, I knew that oh, I'm not forging my way in my career, I want to do more than I was doing at the time, and, and so I made a conscious decision. But with the younger players, I was trying to educate in many different ways. You're not just talking about defending; you're talking about dealing with the ball. You're talking about centre forwards, the runs. The good thing with the centre half, right, is you should be able to teach defenders how to defend. But guess what? You should be able to educate them how centre forwards act. So therefore, it's a two-way thing. So I must say, I do like the defending side. I do more specialise in the defending side, but I equally teach, speak to the centre forwards. You know, because of how it operates as a centre-half, the things that a centre-half is looking to think and read and the situations to try and allow them forward a better chance to be productive. In midfield, I played at Forest as a midfielder. I played in, you know, my first probably 50, 60 games in central midfield in, in career, and then went sort of right back and ended up as a centre-half. So, And all the experiences that Bale was talking about earlier, all the different levels of football, all the different experiences. By the time you come to a coach, I'd taken my badges as well, so I'd done the right route on that side. And then you give it your own feel and your own belief in what you think is important. But loads of, I always say, great, great coaches and great managers, when you actually speak to them, they often share with you they're great thieves as well. You know, they'll, they'll nick stuff and they'll use it and they'll use it to their own liking. I've nicked plenty of stuff, trust me, but it's all, it's all glued together. 
by who I am and how I deliver it. You know, so it's not um, it's not like you nick it and just literally use it as they would use it, but you you nick ideas and you put them into your toolkit and then you use it the best you can. Are you like the longest serving Premiership manager now? I am currently, yeah. So right. Let me let me salute you on that. Ah oh, no, please don't come on now. Hey, right, so let me say, so you took over from Burnley from Eddie Howe. Yep. 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 So at that time for yourself, was you nervous? Did you feel like you was ready? What was your mindset taking over at Burnley? Well, to be honest, it was it was in Australia it was harder taking over at Watford because Malky Mackay had done a good job there and I was his assistant and we shared a lot. Malky was really open with my ideas and used used some of them and his own, of course. So then when you take over there, you've got to like you can't go away from the stuff that you think is important and the stuff you've already shared with Malky to share with the players. But now you've got to let them know that that's kind of some of it is yours. And that was a really yeah. balancing act. Plus, the oddest thing of all, some of the players at um, Watford, I mean, legends in my life, I, I adore Lloyd Doyley. You know, people like him, he, he played with me. He played, you know, he'd physically played with me. Adrian Mariapa had physically played with me at the end of my career at Watford. So that was kind of weird because they knew me as Daichi the player and as the youth team coach yeah. and as the assistant and now as the manager. So that was kind of weird. When I came into Burnley, different thing, new new group. Um, Eddie had left the, the group in good shape. You know, I've got a lot of respect for Eddie. I think he's a very talented guy. He left them in good shape and how he wanted them to play. It was quite obvious at the time, um, and Eddie would know, they were conceding lots of goals, scoring lots, but conceding lots. So, that you know, it had to be tightened up a little bit. And had a real tough time. The first... The first eight months, you know, people forget about my time at Burnley. I was getting booed off for six of them. You know what I mean? I just get cane there all the time. You know, rubbish, get him out and all that. Um, and then I think the biggest, um, Bio, you'll know this in football, the, the strangeness of supporter bases. We sold Charlie Austin two days before the season. We've had a really strong pre-season. And the word travels in pre-season where the fans, you know, little groups of fans who go to games, they spread the word. And we'd been really sharp and really strong in mid-pre-season. And we started the season, we sold Charlie Austin two days before the first game of the season. And you know what? I think the fans thought, well, hang on a minute, this this manager. And we bought in three free transfers, by the way. So we bought in four million quid for Chaz and got three free transfers in. That was it. Business done. And I think the supporters here were fantastic in their view when they sort of went, right, OK, I think the team needs us. Because there was a different feel in the stadium. They sort of forgot about the fact they were caning me the year before and almost went, no, no, this guy needs a bit of a break. I can't guarantee that, but I felt it in the air. And we got off to a real strong start. There was a real energy about the team. You know, Danny Ings was flying, Sam Vogt, Kieran Trippier, Dean Marnie was was fantastic, Michael Duff, you know, all the whole side really, Ben Mew's still here, and Jason Shackle and Tom Heaton I bought in on a free, and Scott Arthur I bought in on a free, and Dave Jones I bought in on a free. This team suddenly started producing and coming together. So the fun started going with us. Now they started believing. And once they started believing, it, it's a powerful thing, as you rightly know. The team were playing well. They start believing. We've got a real feel in the group, the stadium. Everyone's nose pointing in the right direction from boardroom right the way through the club. And it took us that year to an amazing promotion. And we've never really looked back. I mean, we, you know, we got relegated the next year, but then we came back up again. But the mentality was really set firm from the supporters. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And they've stood by us ever since. Mm. What does that mean when Bayer said a minute ago, like longest serving manager in the, in the Premier League? Does that does that mean anything to you? Do you look back at it and think, are you proud of that? Or um, I don't. Yes. No, 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 no. I don't. Right. I always say it doesn't mean a lot now because you know when you're in it, you ju- you just you just grinding all the time. You're just working, yeah, yeah. grinding. You're yeah. focusing. The next challenge is right in front of you. Can you get the next challenge? Can you win the next game? And I always say I think there'll be a time in my life somewhere down the line when I reflect on these years as absolutely amazing. It's just that when you're in it, you don't, you know, you never sort of pull your head out of the sand. You're just in there. You're just, yeah, yeah. you're just cracking on all the time. And you feel like, I mean, I have unbelievable admiration for, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger. These, they just knock it out year after year after year. And it's very tiring. It can be really difficult. It can be really challenging. So I think there will come a time, my point is, when you are, and you are proud of what you do. But when you're in it, you just seem to get on with it. You don't really stop and think about it. You just, you just crack on and get on with it. Um, so yeah, I don't overthink years in service. I think the club I'm at a club that have been pretty fair with the challenges that, that Burnley has. Um, you know, some clubs raise the bar very quickly and maybe too high for their managers, and that's why they get sacked a lot. Here, they've been pretty realistic with the truth of what the club is and, and allowed me to manage it. Let me just say, with how football is and how the modern day football is, how they want success yesterday, it's achievement. So I salute you. 
um, I ain't a manager and I, I know it's tedious. I'm getting older and I've got to start, you know, looking at the younger boys and with how many jobs you lot got to do just to be in it. Listen, I salute you. So Gaffer, it's an achievement. No, so when you get to that, no, it's an achievement. No, I salute that, man. Speaking of managers, um, myself and Bai have got a quick game for you, and it's called Which Manager? So, with this in mind, what we just said, longest-serving manager in the Premier League at the moment, you would have come across quite a few managers. So, first question. Which manager would you most like to go for a pint with? Oh, um, I'll take out the ones I know, because I know some personally. I wonder, I think Klopp might be quite interesting, I think. Because I, I don't know why, I just imagine he looks like he likes a pint um, yeah. or a version of it. So probably <laughs> I'm, I'm quite partial to a half a lager shandy myself, let's say, on the right occasion. Yeah, I think him, I don't know, I think, I think a lot of the European managers maybe just have a, you know, a couple of glasses of wine and a chat. I think yeah. like we could probably lock horns, you know what I mean, have a bit of a go. Um, I, mean, I like that. Um, like I reckon he'd, he'd be a speedy pint drinker, drinker like as well. Power drinker. Yeah, I do. Yeah. No, I, I think you've got him, though, Gaffer, though. I, like, I think you've got, got him. I've just had a last long shandy for me, mate. That's it. I don't, I'm not a big drinker. <laughs> All right, I've got one. <laughs> i got one. All right, so who's got the strongest handshake? That, so who's, you know, when you go and yeah, man, good game or bad game or how you doing? Who's got the hardest handshake? Do you know what? I can't... Um... My people comment on mine. Of course. But, no, it's the thing I got. My, my dad always told me when, you, when I was a kid, you know, if you're going to shake hands, shake hands properly. So that's where that comes from. It's just a, a, a learned skill. From Nothing worse parents. than a limp wrist. Yeah, no one likes a wet fish, do they? No one likes a wet fish handshake. Um, <laughs> no one's keen on it. Do you know, I can't honestly tell you that, um, off the top of my head. Um, is it because you haven't done it for ages because of COVID? Because yeah, I was just thinking about this. I can't remember the last time I shot. Oh, yeah, it. snap. Oh, yeah, the COVID yeah. thing, innit? Who's got the hardest fist pump? <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong, yeah. No, it's a fair point. Um, okay. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, you know, uh, I wouldn't, there's not one that's been properly where you go, wow. Um, you know, so there's not one that I can think of that's been that, that strong. This one, I'm going to allow you to have um, a manager from the past that you've played against because it might be a bit awkward if you answer this one presently. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Which manager would you avoid if you saw him on public transport? No one. No, my, my respect level in, in what we do is, is enormous. So whether I like him or loathe him, it's irrelevant to me. If I saw him, I'd always be respectful, chat, say hello, if they wish to, of course. Um, no, there's a, there's a certain level of respect. And uh, the people I, I always describe as this, when in, in the old days, if you like, before COVID, um, and not really the old days, but, you know, the, the, the foreign managers don't really do the, the in-the-room thing afterwards. They don't really do that, you know, pop in. Um, when you go in the room afterwards, when they do, very often the two managers end up speaking to each other. And the reason why that is, I always say to people, because they're the only two who actually know how it feels. So... Yeah. I always have that inner respect. So irrelevant whether I like them or not, and you can't like every manager that you play against, I would always speak to them if they wish to, of course. Great answer. Yeah, yeah, very good. No, it's a real answer. It's a real answer. No, no that's good. No, no, no I, I, I'm I respect not trying you. to shy away from it. That's a real answer. That's my belief. All right, so then I'm going to ask you this then, so don't shy away from this one then. So <laughs> which manager have you had the most heated argument on the touchline? Oh, loads. Um... I've had a couple with, um, uh, well, Klopp, I had one, obviously. Um, that wasn't as heated as everyone thinks. Yeah, that wasn't that heated, no. to be fair. No, there's been no, there's been no um, near-the-knuckle things. Um, there's been a couple in uh, the tunnel that have got close. Um, I'm trying to think. Klopp, Pep, I've had a few crosswords with Pep. I've had some funny funny ones with uh, Jason Mourinho, actually, some funny ones. Um and, and some funny ones with most. You know, there comes a time when something happens when you can find them. You're winning all of them, though, as much as I'm saying. I'm saying you're actually winning. All the names you've said, I'm thinking they're waiting for their centre-halves to step in and say, Gaffer, no, no, let's go in. Let's go Let's go into the change room. That's what they're better waiting for. <laughs> the best fighters only pick a fight they can win. You know that. <laughs> no, there's, um, I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 uh, never, never one that's got too far. That's what I will say. Never one, there's never one that's been close to igniting. You know, there's always enough respect where you go, no, 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 look, I stand my corner, you stand yours. Um, but yeah, more, there have been some really funny ones. I mean, some of the guys you know, of course, you can have funny, funny lines with them and some funny incidents, which are just 
properly funny, you know, and you just, you know, and everyone it just diffuses the situation. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, there's only been a few though, but not not that bad actually, not that bad. I think there's still a, a respect level, you know. It's it's not anything. There's nothing um, vulgar or ill-intended. That's for sure. Which one would you most like to work with? Oh, I think I think all of the top ones. I mean, look, I, I know Mourinho gets his question marks. I've always said he's a serial winner, that man. You know, and, and so you, I know people question all sorts nowadays. But look, his record—he's a serial winner, and you can't you can't you can't win that much without knowing what you're doing. Pep is obvious, but not for the reasons um, people think about his style of play. It'd be more because he motivates a group of gazillionaires to give everything and I don't think that's easy so I admire that I think he, he finds a way of getting them to believe in everything that he does and I think that's an art um, so Alex I'm fortunate to have spent some time with um, Arsene Wenger similar he's always I don't know why but he always gave us his, his ear and, and shared some you know bits and pointers I miss that in the game I do miss that I wish it was the days when managers would share after the game and pop in and, and have a drink or chat because you can get some golden nuggets. I got one from Carlo Ancelotti um, this year, which I thought was fantastic. Um, you know, and I told my staff, I thought, brilliant. Um, what did he say? Oh, no, no, that's not for your ears. Um, it was just a, it was just a life. A life. Are you just, you, bruv, you tease us, bruv. Hey, bruv, you tease that's us. That's why I roll. <laughs> We've got to go into management if we want this. Oh, I'll get more podcasts, isn't it? If you live back and out, I'll back on and ask if we can get that one. You're um, right. No, I, I do miss that. I, I miss that, actually. I, I think there's managers I'd love to just get little snippets from, share thoughts with them. Some I know, so I can, you know. And I've, I, by the way, I ring, I ring managers. You know, I'm not sure I'm ringing a manager when I when I'm when I'm in a situation where I think I'm not I'm not sure where this is or what to do. You know, some have been incredibly helpful. Mick McCarthy, Bruce, Brucey, um, so Alex, of course. You know, um, Tony Pulis, um, uh, Arsene Wenger, as I suggested. You know, picking up little snippets from him in the room afterwards, having a glass of wine or whatever. I do miss that. I think I still think that's really relevant, particularly for young young coaches and managers. I really I really do think that. Out of all the managers come across or you haven't come across, who would you say you most admire? Just from afar, who would you say you would most admire? I think it's impossible to not admire Sir Alex just because the years of service and, you know, people often forget, of course, amazing what they won and everything. But I, I was actually at the game, well, the one that they all tag and he, he kind of plays with it. He's kind of mentioned it maybe. Um, but when Mark Robbins scored the goal, it was at Nottingham Forest, they won 1-0 and, and that turned the corner for him, you know. But that was kind of nearly three years in, I think, you know, and you think people forget that. There was so much building he had to do to get that club where he wanted it to. And the belief in doing that, and then the biggest breakthrough of putting all the young players in at once. I mean, these are things I know now it's very, very difficult to keep recycling your team, keep recycling and moving it forward, recycling and moving forward. We've somewhat got a, a glimmer of that world here over eight and a half, eight and a, yeah, eight and a half years. Um to do that for 27 years or whatever is just unbelievable, I think. you know. So it's hard to not look at the value in him. Um, Pep, for different reasons, because he's done it at varying clubs, although you could argue he's always had the top elite players. But like I say, getting them motivated and doing what he wants to do, there's an art in that. And, uh, you know, it's there's so many, to be honest. Uh, I think it's for Alex. I think it's hard to go against for Alex for me personally. Arsene Wenger's another one. Arsene Wenger, you know, changing the style. People forget that. When he went to Arsenal, you know, moulded a, a strong Arsenal 1-0 type of side, brought in two centre-halves to play in midfield. So he, he was aware of what he needed in the Premier League. Got the best out of people like Thierry Henry, Wright and people like that. Great admiration of how he controlled that group and moved it forward in style and still was successful. And financially, probably one of the most successful managers of all time for that club. Amazing job. So there's so many, to be honest, so many of mine. And Jose, Jose, of course, you're a serial winner. Simple as that. Whatever people say. I've got a slightly easier one for you. Who smells the nicest? Do you know what? There's that much good stuff going around nowadays. Even I get older, some of that creed and that, and I think I'm the boy when I'm wearing that. Oh, I <laughs> uses creed, you know. Oh, Even that creed. I've got, I've got about five different bowls. I'm loving that. I'm like, I'm like using it as mouthwash nowadays. You know what I mean? It's yeah, so you do then. <laughs> the funniest thing is, I'll tell you this, right? So there are some funny things. So I'm not going to name names, but I saw some of the weirdest things I've seen. 
I saw a player, not one of mine, by the way, I saw a player in the tunnel spraying aftershave on themselves before they went out. I thought that was interesting. Wow. I saw another one gelling their hair on the way out down the tunnel. I thought, that, oh, yeah, they do that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and I'll use that word interesting, meaning that wouldn't be happening with my group, just to be fair. Um, so, yeah, there's some peculiar things I see about the modern footballer, let's say. Uh, I've always thought you're going out there to just run around and work. I'm not sure why you have to smell good to work. Uh, but they do smell amazing, I will say. But yeah, get the hair done, smell right. And they're, they're, maybe they're smell-o-vision, you know, smell-o-vision TV. Maybe can smell it. It's great, I don't know. I, I've got a question. How do you deal with, because you seem like no-nonsense and, you know what I'm saying, strong-minded. How do you deal with a rebel footballer? You know, somebody who's, how do you deal with it? Well, I haven't, right. So people, another thing that, it's a, it's a sort of a fair question, but it's kind of a strange question. So the media will say to me, you only ever sign players with good attitudes. Firstly, who wouldn't want to sign a player with a good attitude? Every manager wants to sign a player with a good attitude. Secondly, I always say to them, all right, Joey Barton, how do you think he was? And then they go, oh, yeah, forgot about that one. And I go, actually, fantastic. I'm telling you, fantastic. Immaculate in his professionalism, his drive, his will, his demand, his work ethic, absolutely top draw. And there was no... The way people say to me, how did you manage him? I didn't need to. I just spoke to him. said, look, these are the rules. I just said, you know, this is the way we work. You're going to come into a situation. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, don't believe the myths out there about what we do. Just come in and be open-minded, which he did. And I said, at the end of the day, Joey, the problem you've got is you think you're right about everything and there can't be two of us, kid. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The manager's positive, right? Um, I think we should finish this off because uh, it might be quite fun if you don't mind engaging in a game of um, word association. Oh, goodness so, me. Basically. Where are we going with this? We're going to get the points out as well. Is it that game or not? I promise you. I promise you. Not <laughs> bad. I promise you. Mind you, I didn't write this one, so it could be. Right, so basically, I'll fire off some phrases and you've got to tell me the one word that comes to mind. Oh, um, so, Burnley's 2020-2021 season. Difficult. Next season's expectations. Measured. Laziest trainer. None. VAR. Working, well, that's too many words, but uh, progress. <laughs> Manager with the best banter. Me. <laughs> the, the big six. True. Fan protests. Oof, um, I'm not sure there's one word for that one. I'm not going to get involved in that one. That's a difficult one. Smart, that's smart. <laughs> Charlie Austin. Uh, I, I probably need more words, but a pleasure. Ah, oh, that's nice. European Super League. Interesting. <laughs> Your biggest achievement in football? Just being a footballer. I was going to say, it's hard with one word. That yeah, one. that was hard. Yeah, I I, 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 that was hard. Yeah, um, yeah, that was quite hard. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, because be, if it wasn't that, it'd be winning enough, you know, winning enough to be considered a success. So, yeah, hard in one word. Thanks for bailing me out. Um, I, sure. I was aware of you more than one word. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. I got rid of some in there as well. I bailed you out a few times, but you'll never know what they wrote down. No, crack on. I don't mind. I'll answer whatever you want. Just joking, Tom. No, to be honest, that's us done. That's yeah. that's perfect. It was so great. We'd have you on for another hour if we could. Yeah, man. Um, but we know that you've got a life to live. Well, the minute, <laughs> to be fair, it's pretty cold up here, so that there's no going out. So at the minute, it's just... Training, training, you know, training around, go to the gym and go back to the flats. Um, Sean, we will let you go, but no it's been a pleasure. So um, thank you so much for pleasure. just we'll having a both. chat with us. Hey, thanks, really man. I for real talk, man. It's been a long time, mate, but you take care. I know, it's a pleasure, oh, man. Right, I I see you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. There you go, Sean Dyche, just as excellent as we hoped for, Bio. Yeah, man. To be fair, he's on the bench, you know. Like he's got a good balance. You know what I'm saying? He's like he's hard hitting, but he's got bounce. So now he was cool, man. Oh, he's very cool. Um, okay, as always, we are going to do our Super Six fixtures now for round fifty-four. Right. You can download the Super Six app. You can create an account, play for free by predicting the scores of six chosen matches, and you could win two hundred and fifty thousand pounds this week. Also, if you invite your mates, they can join Super Six as well. And if your invited friends go on to win the jackpot, then you will still win. You just get twenty-five thousand pounds. Okay, prediction time. Here we go. 
First match, Leeds Spurs. Oh, that's a tough one, you know. Mm. And Mason's got them, he's got them playing well. I've seen them batter Sheffield United, but Leeds also. So I'm going to say 2 2. I'm going to say, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be high scoring. Do you know what? I think I'm going to back Leeds for this one. I think it's going to be 3 1 to Leeds. Um, I know, one out there. Uh, Barnsley, Norwich. I'm going to say Norwich win 2 1. I'm going to say this one is going to be a 2 2 draw. I think I think Barnsley will really try and push him. Watford Swansea. Two one Watford. I'm gonna say one nil Watford. Okay. Uh, Bournemouth Stoke. Um, to be fair, we beat Bournemouth one nil. Big up Uche, bad boy goal. Just saying that. Um, so I'm gonna say they're probably on about. I'm gonna say one nil Bournemouth. Yeah, I'm gonna say two nil Bournemouth. Uh-huh. Okay, Derby Sheffield Wednesday. Oh. This is the oh, game. This, uh, you know what? I, but I think Derby's on such a bad run. I, I think Sheffield Wednesday is going to beat him 2 0. Oh, no way, really. I do. Yeah. I think they're on such a bad run. Do you know what? I, oh, this is so hard, isn't it? Because it's such a massive game. But it's I think I agree game. with you. I think Sheffield Wednesday 1 0. No. Oh, sorry, Derby fans. Cardiff, Rotherham. I'm going to say 2 0 Cardiff. Oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to stay close to what you're saying. I'm going to say 1-0 Cardiff for that one. Right, that is it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. Really love that. And a big thanks as well to Sean Dyche. Great guest this week. I shout out Sean Dyche. You know what I'm saying? All right, we're on Twitter and Instagram, people. You can give us a follow at Super6. And also, if you fancy it, you can like, you can also subscribe, and it will automatically download for you each week. And if you really feel like it, you can give us a five-star review. Five stars. All right, see you next time. Take care. Peace.